0: Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Today we hear from Fox Entertainment Chief Executive Rob Wade and President of Entertainment Michael Thorne about their unscripted and scripted programming strategies for the year ahead and from Homeland and 24 showrunner Howard Gordon, Sony Pictures Television Executive Vice President of Drama Development Lauren Stein, actor and director Michael Chiklis and director Marley Matlin about new Fox anthology drama, Accused. C21's Content London took place recently with senior executives, producers, writers and talent from all around the world convening in the UK capital to get a glimpse of the hottest new shows, put together deals for those in development and discuss the latest trends and industry issues. Among those delivering keynotes were recently appointed Fox Entertainment CEO Rob Wade and President of Entertainment Michael Thorne, who spoke to Jordan Pinto about their unscripted and scripted programming strategies and approach to working with international partners. The pair discussed how the company is aiming to apply its cost-effective unscripted production model to the scripted space, building on the success of series such as The Masked Singer and Gordon Ramsay's Next Level Chef with new dramas like The Accused from Homeland creator Howard Gordon. They also gave an update on the $100 million international unscripted formats fund Fox Entertainment unveiled last year and explained why the firm was happy to stay out of the streaming wars, preferring to license via a new distribution arm rather than warehouse content within its own walled gardens.
1: Today we're going to be hearing from uh, Rob and Michael a little bit about their key priorities, both for Unscripted and scripted, and talk a bit about the broader vision uh, and the content strategy for, for Fox Entertainment. Just maybe to set the table a little bit for this, guys. So about three years ago, Fox uh, sold the assets of 21st Century Fox to Disney. And then, since that's happened, you've been kind of building back a strong array of assets. You have uh, Bento Box, uh, Studio Ramsey Global, uh, Marvista, obviously, Tubi is part of the Fox Entertainment yeah. uh, brand as well. And so, you're already in a very, very strong position as it is. But then, building on that, Rob, you have become CEO relatively recently, I think l- within the last two months.
2: Yeah, seven weeks. <laughs>
1: seven weeks. I think I've turned uh, it around. <laughs> <laughs> um, since, since, Charlie Co- <laughs> since Charlie Collier um, uh, left and you were elevated to CEO of the company. So can you talk to us a bit about your initial set of strategic goals while yeah. bearing in mind that it is still so early?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, fortunately, obviously, I'm, I'm new to the role, but I'm not new to this mission. Uh, I've been at Fox for six years and three years ago when we... Um, we um, sold our, a lot of our assets to, to Disney. We had a day one moment and we had a, an opportunity to build. Uh, I've been part of the team that's strategically been building there. We've built, as you said, TMZ, Mar Vista, Bento Box. In-house we have FAE, which is our unscripted studio. We now have Fox Entertainment Studios, which Michael runs. Um, as you mentioned, we, we, we bought TB, our AVOD service. So now I think we are really well set and we we have a a great platform on which to uh, build. Most recently, uh, we opened up FEG, which is Fox Entertainment Global, which we announced at MIPCOM, which is our international content sales division, so now I think we have all the building blocks um, that we need uh, to to work in a a nimble uh, and effective way to really take great content and uh, you know, max, maximise the, the, the potential of that content. So you know, it's From a strategic point of view, at this point, perhaps in the last three years, we were at a point of building and setting that up. Now I feel like there's a new phase where we're very much focused on content creation an audience-first approach to to, to programming, so that's where we are.
1: Yeah, okay, fantastic. Um, Let's follow up a bit on uh, the launch of Fox Entertainment Global. Um, Why do you think that will be a game-changer for you as you kind of re-enter the international marketplace and really start to look collaborating uh, to collaborate more with international players?
2: Well, I think while a lot of our competitors are are warehousing their content, um, putting it behind paywalls, Uh, we made a decision uh, not to play that game, and I think it's uh, put us in a fantastic competitive position. Our goal is to open our content up, to be able to produce, co-produce, acquire content uh, in a a free way, sell it internationally, use those opportunities to window our content, sample sample our content. And the global market's such an important part of that. um, And now... in the last couple of months, we've built that capability to really get out there. And not only as a seller, but as a buyer and a co-producer, we're now in in the international market in a way where I think we can uh, position our content uh, in the best possible way. And we're very fortunate, uh, being a US-based company and having that market, that we have an ample war chest in which we can still go out there and 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 create and buy premium content, and uh, we want to use that, that that those assets to 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 create, as I said, content that that's going to have the maximum maximum potential mm-hmm. uh, for international sales. Yeah, and, and I think you know we're in this most
3: recent uh, MIP. You know, we were kind of just reintroducing ourselves, saying, hey, we we are. Um, not just a, a, a platform that premieres content, but we are, we're owning our own content and, and are, you know, are out distributing it with, with other partners globally. And, and that, uh, as part of our first scripted wave, was our, our new animation slate, which we can talk about more later. Um, and it, that was kind of exciting, just to reintroduce what we're doing. And, and, um, and, and uh, also on the scripted side, where we haven't really done We've done co-productions with, um, you know, Warner Brothers and Sony and Lionsgate and other, other great, other great partners. But we haven't really, uh, on the scripted side, uh, unlike what Rob's done, had, had Rob's had team had done on the unscripted side, where now we're actually actively looking for international co-production partners, um, for ground-up development in, in ways that we just we just haven't done before.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Why hasn't Fox Entertainment entered the the streaming wars? Um, I know it's it's been a very deliberate decision, but quite literally almost all players except for Fox and Sony basically have entered the the streaming wars in some facet. Um, What was the decision? Yeah, uh, it was a very
2: deliberate decision um, made by the Murdochs at at that juncture, obviously by selling 20th century assets to Disney. Um, I think uh, it's... At the moment, if you look at the vertically integrated... Strategy. It's obviously one that requires a huge amount of finance. Um, we are a, a p based business. We are a linear platform. Uh, we we believe in uh, the linear business and the ad-supported business. Um, as I said, I think I think uh, you know we we have also retained a lot of money on our balance books, which allows us to invest and in, in acquire, make P&L decisions. so M decisions and uh, you know other acquisition decisions. Um, I think when you look at the market, you ha- even with new AVODs coming, you have to ask: in the next couple of years, particularly due to you know economic changes, how much monetary sense there's going to be in, in 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 the audience, the consumer buying multiple multiple subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, that's the bet we're making. And uh, I think, um, you know, we did did acquire 2B, so we have that AVOD service. So we are in in the digital business to to, to some extent. But between Fox Entertainment, Fox News, Fox Sports, uh, we really believe we've got a great portfolio. Our sales team have um, a huge amount of leverage um, across our platforms for those uh, those assets. Um, if you look at the last week on Fox, we've had the highest rated NFL game there's ever been. We, we launched, we didn't launch, we had an episode of Masked Singer uh, off the back of that. And we we took the um, highest rating we've had for that show in three years. Off the back of that we had the highest rated uh, soccer game, or, or did I say soccer? I only said soccer. <laughs> <for
1: you. laughs> Football you, game
2: on, on, on the Friday, uh, which was a uh, USA England um, terrible game, but it's still got the highest. It's, Says some. <laughs> <laughs> it's still got the, the, the highest rated uh, World well, Cup Go's game that's ever yeah. been uh, outside of the US there. So we, we have this platform, uh, we believe in it. And uh, you know, that, those are the, the essential reasons why we didn't enter the, uh,
1: the S game. Great. Um, just a, a follow-up question on, on FEG, um, and maybe this was one for, for you, potentially Michael. Um, how early in the process would FEG take on a co-production? Um, and are, are you looking at kind of co-developing from the, from the earliest phases? Um,
3: Look, one of the things that yeah. I, I think is really exciting about Fox in, in general is because we're independent and a little more uh, nimble, we're, our development process is incredibly flexible. There, there is not, you know, I like to say there's not one size fits all to any any of our uh, development processes. And, and so, for example, a co-production uh, can originate, you know, uh, from scratch through FEG directly with us, um, some kind of collaboration with all of our our groups were, were, as Rob mentioned in the beginning, um, we're starting a our, our, um, small um, scripted studio. Um, you know, we've 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 just announced you know a few deals with like Carol Mendelssohn who ran the C, uh, CSI franchise. Um, that's where uh, uh, Dan Harmon, uh, who created *Crapopolis* for us, um, who also did *Rick and Morty*, obviously, and *Community* originated through a direct deal we made with him and. And uh, we just uh, closed a deal with uh, McGee, who directed and produced Lethal Weapon, and has been uh, a, really a longtime partner for Fox, going back to the OC. And so a co-production can originate with the FEG team, uh, directly with us, um, through one of our, the auspices that we've, we've made a deal with. And uh, in fact, we've actually um, optioned a few uh, properties ourselves. You know, uh, best-selling British thriller. Um, We're looking at another uh, international detective franchise. Where, as we're waiting for the right uh, partners and projects to come to us, um, in addition to what you would consider more traditional uh, development, um, we are we're looking to build these kind of co-productions ourselves, so we can, you know, start to to build these relationships. you know, I think as quickly as possible, but with the, the, right, the right projects, and, and so uh, I guess that's a long way of saying, you know, you know we have multiple doors to, to come through, you know, whether it's Fox, Fox Scripted Studio, or FEG, or, or, or Mara Vista. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, there's there's lots of opportunities uh, to come in through for Fox.
1: Yeah. Um, during the prequel, you were mentioning, um, like, a slightly smaller scripted unit, I think, within Fox yes. Entertainment Studios yeah. that would kind of serve as a pipeline yeah. for, um, you know, to, to generate uh, IP. Are you able to tell us a bit more about that?
3: Yeah. Um, like a, sub, you know, a that,
1: sub-studio almost within...
3: Yes. And uh, I th- where... Um, Rob and his team did an incredible job uh, building FAE to help uh, create a pipeline of alternative and reality programming uh, for Fox and, and for third parties. And, and we're looking to, to do the same on the, on the scripted side. And so right now we're building the team um, to kind of focus on, on those specific uh, uh, partnerships and, and, and development. I think they'll be uh, directly for Fox, of course, um, and uh, also will be part of uh, an avenue for international uh, co-productions. And the, the key thing for for us, where we're a voice-driven company, we look for um, really, really strong um, creative talent who who has something to say. We like. Uh, you know, bold concepts and especially bold characters who either evolve or devolve depending on what their personal trajectory is. And the trick for us is to find these unique character entry points in a way that is still broadly appealing. Uh, You know, we want to reach the biggest audiences possible. And I think when when we get it right, where we win is when we hit something that feels elevated and Indifferent, but still, hits, has that big reach across, you know, the U.S. and the in the globe. And so, we're going to use this the studio team to help us access more of that talent and and to um, help execute the shows. One of the things that we've seen is with a lot of the uh, other companies uh, looking inward to build their own streaming services. they they're using a lot of the resources that they have through their own, you know, sometimes multiple studios within their, their ecosystems to feed their own streaming services and, to tar- and, and what, we have, what we believe is we have a real opportunity uh, just at Fox in general um, to, um, you know, we're, we're not a we don't have uh, 100 shows in a digital warehouse on our network. We're very curated in what we, what we program, and so we see an opportunity while a lot of these studios are feeding their own ecosystem to kind of look for uh, creative partners, both here and abroad, to, to help us distinguish our shows and our content on FOX.
1: When we were chatting um, earlier, um, one of the things that you'd mentioned, Rob, was kind of using the, the unscripted playbook um, which FOX has uh, implemented to, to great effect. Um, or maybe created uh, in, its, in its own way, um, and apply that to um, an expansion in the scripted field. Um, I think it, it's very clear that maybe there are more cost-efficient um, methods of production needed uh, in, this, in scripted as well. Um, are you able to talk about how how you yeah, see that Absolutely. That
2: I mean, I think you know, um, FAE was Fox Entertainment. Oh, sorry, Fox Alternative Entertainment was formed about four years ago now, and. Um, it wasn't an in-house studio built to kind of make us create all the content for for Fox. It was there, as Michael said, there was a huge move uh, by the streamers into into alternative entertainment, and we needed to react to that and have uh, a, a studio or a production company that we felt would be able to be 100% focused on on our content. So that's the first thing I want to point out. We were, you know, we're very. We're not trying to build studio to prevent third-party, you know, acquisitions. We're, we're very open to the market. We're taking ideas in. Um, it's it's it was very much built as as a, as a way of protecting ourselves from you know, uh, basically a pro, an over demand compared to supply. Mm-hmm. Um, what we did in that process is we started to see where we could create efficiencies. Our number one goal is premium content quality across, whether it's across unscripted or scripted. And, and we, have, we have to, as a broadcast network, a premium broadcast network, always make sure that that is our mantra. We, we, we demand that level of, of, of production. But then we started to look into ways in which we could achieve that in a more cost-efficient way. And and that's where we found some real gains um, in the the alternative department. And we've been able to bring down overall costs, which, again, we haven't sort of brought down the costs and just done nothing with that money. We've taken any money we saved, and you can then reinvest that into other parts of the production as well and other parts of the organisation. So... You know, Bento Box, which was an acquisition we made. Scott Greenberg uh, was is, is the CEO of that, and he uh, is a is a very entrepreneurial guy. He found a way of looking at animation and being able to produce animation at a lower cost, and he continues to do that. And that's something, you know, Michael and here sort of benefiting from. Then TMZ is owned by Harvey Levin, um, who's who's, uh, again, very entrepreneurial, and they found a way to create cost efficiency, and we we have a a large pipeline of of, of documentaries now coming out of TMZ. Vox Alternative Entertainment, again, we found a lot of efficiency in actually moving productions around. We we looked at the different um, places outside L.A. We could shoot, we went to different states within the U.S., and we also went abroad uh, during COVID. COVID was... Obviously, uh, incredibly challenging time, but again, what you find from challenging moments in a creative community is that solutions are found that often will benefit you for, in other ways for years to come. And what we did then is we found uh, a way to produce in the UK and Ireland, um, and that has, has been a very beneficial to our bottom line as well. So now, um, you know, Michael and over you know, the National Fox Entertainment Studios, um, and along with, with Mar Vista, Fernando's uh, Zoo, who, who oversees that company as well, they now have the, the opportunity, I think, to sort of look at the scripted business through a different lens, make sure we are creating premium content, again, with you know, the best possible creators behind the camera and in front of the camera, Bring those overall costs down, and and look, we're still doing it now. I mean, we're shooting yeah. the new series, *Cues*, uh, which is, is coming to Fox uh, in January. Um, it's it's you know you, we've w- I've watched five or six episodes now. It is a brilliantly made uh, uh, show um, from Howard Gordon. It has you know fantastic act- actors in Michael. Can talk about it more in a minute, but. It, that show was shot in Canada, um, and yeah. it's uh, it's, got, it's through Sony, and it's 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 a great part, price point, you know. And I think that's what we're going to see more and more of in in the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we really believe that we
3: can, and when we're doing this that we can be in business with the best creators, and and still make, as Rob said, premium, premium content. Accused is a perfect example. You know the executive producer of Twenty Four and the Emmy-winning creator of Homeland is doing "Accused for Us," and it's a really uh, unique approach to a a crime anthology series. And we, and and the episodes are, we think, fantastic and provocative and 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 surprising and and uh, and it just so happens that the approach that we're using is a bit more cost effective in its approach but sure. qualitatively you wouldn't you wouldn't know the, dis- the difference we're doing the same thing with uh, Fantasy Island and a couple other series but I I think you know let the streamers who have a very different model chase the 100 million dollar series and those price points and while 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 we you know are still in business with some of the same creators that they are making you know, really unique content, uh, but in ways that are really a business for today.
2: You know, for for Fox and our our partners.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
2: sorry. No, no, I just I was just thinking. That as soon as I sort of start talking about uh, this, though, so like, I I do always want to sort of remind everyone, and I think this is a you know, content London is, is a development marketplace, and as much as we, you might see us standing up here and talking about, you know, the business model and stuff, it, it really, Fox really is a creative first place. Um, you know, we, you know, I think whether you're in unscripted or scripted at the moment, the key is to find unique ideas. We have a history of risk-taking, uh, bold sort of buying um, in, in the US and around the globe. And that's something very much in our DNA that we're going to keep. So we are, we are keeping an eye on that. And as I said, we are a P&L based company. But that isn't to say that we're not going to be as aggressive uh, you know, creatively. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of our DNA, where we want to be. So mm-hmm. I always want to remind people yeah. of that whenever we are talking about this.
1: Yeah. Year. Who heads up the development team um, for... I suppose there's, there's different different studios within um, Fox Entertainment, but maybe on the scripted side, who they, there's uh,
3: a woman named Brooke Bowman who oversees uh, drama and event series, and Cheryl Dolans who oversees comedy, and and Daniel Weidenfeld who oversees the animation uh, team. And on the animation side, you can approach us through through Daniel or uh, through uh, Bento Box and Scott Greenberg's team. And, and so any of the teams, uh, and, and on the on the studio side, we're in the process of of kind of building uh, building that out uh, uh, right now. But we're, we 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 um, we develop all year round. We order things all year round. Most of the other uh, platforms say they do, uh, but uh, we actually you know do it. it. It helps us as an independent player um, to be really aggressive about. All year round, development and programming, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. and then it's on the unscripted side. It's Yasmin Roji and Alison Wallach. Mm-hmm. Alison Wallach oversees the studio. Yasmin uh, is across the network at the moment, head of development there. But again, we, we're a small company. Yeah. Like it's you know, it's it's not like at some of these other companies where there's like a thousand different layers. You know, it's you know i 've reported directly to to Lachlan murdoch then there 's the other CEOs across sports and news, and then there 's Michael and you know there 's not many of us, so you can if you 've got ideas you want to bring to us, you can get to us really easily yeah you know, and we, we make time in our days so it isn't just spent at a hundred corporate meetings. Like we're we're at the creative coalface, we're in the pitches, we're at set, we are there at the pilots, table reads, you know, we make sure that we have our time to do that because again that is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I, I think is, is we like to highlight and is we feel is kind
3: of special about us is we, we, we do Play some really meaningful bets across all the genres of storytelling, and it, so it 's not like we, we're like the old cable model where they launch one series a year, but we, we throw this word a lot a lot around, but it 's because it 's true is we are very curated when you 're on fox and we 're launching your show, everyone knows it like we use all the resources of sports and our other successful shows to launch those shows you 're you're, you're one of a few, and every show is a favorite child. I, I think that really distinguishes us as opposed to one of, of 20 that might you know be launched that that month at some of the streamers where maybe you hit the algorithm and maybe you don't. When one of our shows is launching, you know it and 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 you feel that it's a, a priority because it is and and, and I, I think that kind of treatment of content uh, with the intimacy that we, pr- because we're, we're built to be uh, more accessible to the talent, there's this intimacy uh, that our creators and producers and partners feel that I think is is different than, than most places.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, a little over a year, a year ago, you announced a, a 100 million um, <coughs> dollar um, international uh, fund to find unscripted formats maybe uh, I think an update on, on where that, yeah. uh, because I think uh, one thing we discussed on the pre-call was that, you know, that that news was out there, but then a lot of people didn't necessarily know about it or maybe don't yeah, know the status uh, of it today.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's never been so difficult, difficult to give away money. I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 um, it's a really simple concept. So we were in the US, we were finding our pilots, we're costing a fortune. Again, during the pandemic, we realized we could finance entire series of four to six episodes for the same cost as it makes a pilot, and so we started to do that, and so now we, we set this fund up, we have shows going out in Germany, uh, France, uh, Thailand, Ireland, um, which are... They tend to be really out-of-the-box ideas that can't really be tested through, through pilots. So you really want to see the series. And, um, and yeah, we have those, and we're financing those in, in, in those different territories. We're working closely with uh, broadcasters, linear broadcasters that, that have a similar kind of um, feel, if you will, to Fox in terms of demographic and audience reach and other shows on those networks. Um, those are all 100% funded. No, they're not all actually 100% funded. So Three of those are 100% funded. Another one's kind of like a co-finance with one of the other networks. Obviously, the ownership retention is based on how much the financing is. Um, but really, it's an opportunity for producers who have got... Uh, or, or broadcasters who have got really out-of-the-box ideas that don't necessarily have either they don't have the finance or they're a bit too scared to try those ideas out and they're like, they're a bit too risky. And it's like, well, how about we make them cost zero and, and, and you get a chance to, to sort of um, have a shot and uh, take a swing at those. Mm-hmm. And um, it's something we've, it's been very successful so far. And uh, yeah, we're intending to keep going for the next you know uh, four or five years with it and, and see where it, it leads to. But we've been really happy with that mm-hmm. uh, initiative.
3: You know, it's it's not part of this um, international fund at all. But we obviously, it's no secret at Fox that animation is a huge part of our business. We're we're really in the process of kind of, you know, double downing on 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 figuring out, as we like to say, what animation domination 2.0 is after The Simpsons and Family Guy with our new show. And we're we're very proud of Crepapolis and Grimsburg, which are going to premiere next year. But as we've been meeting with partners to take in, in, in cell, uh, and sell Krapopolis in Grimsburg, which, getting a really great uh, response, um, you know, uh, a bento box, as, as, as Rob was saying, has built these capabilities in, in, in Australia, a partnership in, in Ireland where we've actually started to talk about uh, international partnerships, um, creating animated series specifically for other territories that could then in turn come back be on Fox or Tubi, or and, and and so if if animation is a important part of your business or something that uh, your your platform or um, you know potential partnerships you've been thinking about, but have some concerns about cost or just how to do it, you couldn't get a better partner than than uh, Bento Box, and you should definitely connect with Scott Greenberg and his team. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Obviously Fox is, is, is a juggernaut in, in the live TV space, but more recently we're seeing the streamers, um, their model evolves slightly. Um, Disney Plus uh, in North America puts Dancing with the Stars on, uh, well, it's live on Disney Plus. And um, Rob, I know you were once the showrunner of that show, so that's <laughs> some, a show you know very well. Um, and Netflix is talking about doing live programming now with things like a, a Chris Rock special, which I think is gonna be live um, in the early part of 2023. As some of the streamers and some of the, the biggest streamers think about live television, do you see that as as a potential challenge? Do you see live streaming as a completely separate lane than you're in?
2: Listen, I think starting with Dancing with the Stars, I think obviously that the streamers are having to make some adjustments to their strategy. I mean, it was clear that everyone, everything was gonna get put behind a paywall. And if you spoke to Wall Street, that was a great idea until, you know, last six months. And then (laughs) that's changed. And uh, as I said, this warehousing of content, uh, putting things behind a paywall—you know—does it work? You know, will it work? And I think that's the billion-dollar question at the moment. And streams are trying. Netflix has just announced a live special with that they're doing on, on the serv- on their service. Obviously, as you say, Amazon took Thursday Night Football uh, this year, so there is there are changes in those in, in that strategy at the moment. I can't. I mean, it's quite funny. There's too many different things going on for me to really comment on any individual part of that. What I can talk about is what we do, and what we've been doing for 30 years has been really effective. And I think we believe in the democratization of content. You come to our network; it's free to air. It's uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a very simple model that's been proven to work. And if you look at the last week on Fox, we've had you know, the biggest football game that's ever been, that we've had, the biggest soccer game that's ever been. If you are a, a producer or a seller or a, a sports right holder and you want to get your product to the broadest group of people, then that's Fox, <laughs> right? And and that's where that is at the moment. And that's our strength. And, and we're going to continue to do that. And as I said, we will see what happens with the rest of the business. And it'll be interesting how these different forays go, you know, like as each service tries these different things, how they they perform will be something that's going to be really interesting to
3: watch. Mm-hmm. What, what I really see it as, is it's an experimentation with urgency. Everyone in this room, every everyone in our business around the globe is looking for ways to create urgency and immediacy for their programming. Just like Rob was saying with the, the World Cup and, you know, our... our NFL games over the Thanksgiving weekend. Sports brings inherent urgency, obviously. And how do you do that in scripted and unscripted TV? Live is certainly one way. and and uh, But I think that's a discussion we've been having and, and, and been doing quite well uh, with some of our attempts that, uh, whether it's scripted or unscripted. But that's, that's what I say. Everyone's like, what, what can we do to get as many viewers to tune in today as, as, as possible in this kind of fragmented landscape?
1: Okay, fantastic, guys. We are out of time, actually. So uh, if you guys could give a... Thanks, re- thanks very much. Thank, Thank, you. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you.
4: Thank you.
0: Accused is a new Fox anthology from Homeland and 24 showrunner Howard Gordon based on the British series of the same name from Jimmy McGovern. The 15-part drama, each instalment of which begins with the defendant in a courtroom, is described as a fast-paced, provocative thriller exploring the crimes they stand accused of. Due to debut later this month, Accused is co-produced by Sony Pictures Television, featuring a different cast in every episode. Gordon talked to Michael Picard about the show, alongside Fox President of Entertainment Michael Thorne, Sony Pictures Television Executive Vice President of Drama Development Lauren Stein, actor and director Michael Chiklis, and director Marley Matlin, the latter speaking via interpreter.
5: Howard, let's start with you. Um, just give us a bit of a, a background to the, the story of Accused. Well, well uh, I had been at Fox for 20 20-
6: six, seven years, from back from X-Files days, and when I first got there, Lauren sent me this format, which was a BBC format, which Jimmy McGovern had done here uh, for BBC One, I think, mm-hmm. or one or two, yeah. and, um, and, and again, I'm the biggest Jimmy McGovern fan uh, in the world, from Cracker, and and, 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 uh, and I liked the show a great deal, but, but there was something about the format that really, you know, Lauren showed it to me, and instantly, I kind of fell in love with what it, how it could, talk about the world today. I don't know how else to say it, but I had this intuition about it um, because I like to tell people when I talk about the show, like, you know, we are living in very interesting times, which is the Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. And I've been struggling as a human being with what's going on in the world today. And this show was the, just a real opportunity to explore what it means to be alive today. So it was a process, and uh, Michael, who I had worked with for, you know, since Homeland, he was the first one who actually read the Homeland script, uh, uh, gave me, they were disinclined to do a, an anthology. So it was, I think, uh, an act of faith, and I think of, at least initially, but I think in
5: the end we have delivered on the promise of the show, yeah. and we're all very proud of it. Absolutely, and, and in terms of the format, it's, it's 15 individual stories each with uh, an accused at the center, and, and we kind of flash back through the story to see how they end up in court and, and the verdict yep. at the end. So uh, if I've got that right, is
6: that? Yes, and so <laughs> it, it has a very, re- you know, it, it has a recognizable format, which is the courtroom drama and the crime and punishment and the past and the present. But it is, and again, I don't mean to sound immodest, but it's so much more mm-hmm. than guilty or innocent.
5: How would you talk about it sort of being a, a story of modern times. I mean, can you give us an insight we're gonna speak Uh, More to to Marley and Michael's episodes a bit later on, but just as an overview, what kind of topics and stories and themes do you kind of tackle over the season?
6: Well, I just, you know, the show is, and I continue to emphasize, it's a very human show, so the stories are very relatable, are very, yeah, human-scaled, but they live on the fault lines of race, of power, of um, identity, of truth. It's so hard to describe the show because it is, I'm trying to reassemble it and for everybody here, but um, yeah, I think it's always, it's surprising, it's human, and I think um, there is, but it's also diverse, the tone is quite different from episode to episode. There's even some funny episodes.
5: (laughs) And and, and Lauren, I guess, kind of the project begins with you, really, and at Sony, and you've been working on this a few years before Howard joined the project, I mean, take us back to the beginning, what was it about the BBC format, the series that you enjoyed and thought you could, you know, could lend itself to an American remake?
7: I think it is the stories like, that Howard's talking about. Each one of them mm. is something that could happen to any of us or it could happen to anybody in our lives. And you put yourself in there and you're asking yourself, what would I do? And when when Howard first came to Sony and we were talking about what he wants to do and I showed it to him because there's nobody that does character better. And and as he said, like he just loved it instantly. And you know, the more you watch, you know, read these episodes, then watch them and you realize how just emotional they are. And the same with the original. I mean, when I first watched the original one, you're just blown away by how human these stories really are. And again, that there was nobody better to do it than, than Howard.
5: Yeah, but I mean, it's taking you, uh, you know, we were talking earlier, taking a couple of stabs at, at getting it right. Yeah. So what was that, what was that first? effort like? What were the lessons maybe you learned from that and and you got right the second time and and now it's on air?
7: I think the first time we weren't necessarily at the right place and there wasn't as much of a point of view uh, on what they wanted. And so when when we took it to Michael at Fox, it was, everybody was on the same creative page from day one. Uh, Because you can tell these types of stories anywhere, but you need to be able to have the creative freedom to tell them how you want to. And I think that was kind of the problem the first time around is not everybody was looking to make the same
5: show. Yeah, and and you think it sort of stands out in, in today's crowded marketplace. I mean, anthologies and limited series are now more prominent, it still stands out. You think it still has that wow factor. You know, from episode to episode, to keep people hooked and engaged.
7: I do. I think once people understand what the show is, which Fox is doing a really good job of educating people on how to watch this. I think once they really and you'll realize it after you see episode one, then you go to two, that it's different characters, it's different story. You're not going to be able to guess what the end is. You know, it's it's not a who done it, it's a how or why, but the <laughs> the guilt or innocence. Is surprising in every episode, and so and I think people like that. I think people like playing along and asking, you know, again, what would I do in this situation? And I think that's really what separates it. You know, we say it's a courtroom show sometimes, but it's just like that's I, I really such I I, a I, I, really, small... I I do
6: find that it really like under it really undersells as a bit yeah. of a Trojan horse because it is it is recognizable, it is comfortable for people, yep. but I have to say it delivers like a Trojan horse, a surprise, not in a manipulative way. And I, and I was talking to some you know, the, the, some folks earlier today, and I think in every episode we've really succeeded in su- having a surprising but inevitable end, which
5: I find yeah. the, the mark to hit. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Are all the stories around crime and punishment, I imagine an accused could lend itself in lots of different ways, so are they always set in the judicial system? Yeah. Yeah.
6: I mean, <laughs> they, they are, but uh, some of them are pretrial hearings and some are very specific to... Um, uh, the, the
5: story, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, Michael, let's, let's bring you in. I mean, um, what was your kind of first thoughts when you were you involved in the pitch? Were you kind of taking those meetings, or what were your first thoughts when you the project came to your desk?
3: I, I was, I was in the pitch, and and um, and uh, as Howard was saying, we have a long uh, a long history together. We've been friends and colleagues for uh, too long to say out loud, um, and, and have worked on multiple projects together. Uh, but the truth is, I, I think when uh, Howard and Sony brought the pitch, pitch in, they had me in, like, the first couple minutes. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, uh, we're a voice-driven company. We, we, bet, on, we bet on voices, and, and so just before we even this was, This pitch was during COVID, so before we got on the Zoom, it was Howard uh, who, uh, who was very passionate about a crime anthology, so I think I was already in. But once I heard the way he talked about it and how personal this series was to him in terms of how we wanted to talk about the the culture, it was just electric. I mean, we left that Zoom and and we all got on the phone and just talked about like, oh my God, you know, there's I think everyone in this room, uh, we all want to pierce culture. That's why we're in this, we're in this business and and the, the best way to pierce culture is to reflect it. And, and, and at the same time, we were looking for how do you reinvent a crime drama? You know, there's a, an insatiable appetite, uh, I think, everywhere for true crime, uh, fictional crime, books, podcasts, series, movies, and, and, and to, to hear a pitch from one of the best creators in the history of television that marries something that we believe can, can pierce culture, but at the same time is... Kind of wrapped in a familiar crime drama it was so exciting and we talked a lot about the anthological nature of the of the show and what quickly became apparent was that by having individual episodes where every episode features a new cast and a new story um, we could have the most diverse conversations of stories of cultures and backgrounds and uh, emotional stories that um, I think, at least in my opinion, that is atypical uh, to, to a crime drama. And so the, the anthological nature in this case um, is such an asset, And um, um, but admittedly we were a little fearful of it because how, how do you as a, as a network step back and market a new show every single Week and as Lauren said, the more we read and saw, we realized that this, that just the the, the title and the framework in which Howard is telling the story uh, allowed us to access all of these things. And the other part about it was when we when we we read the scripts, we couldn't wait to to talk a, a, about them like in the hallways of Fox, and and then you you can tell by the when you see you know Marley and. Michael and the other talent that we've been able to <coughs> attract because of these, these provocative stories. And it, 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 was, it was an easy green light.
5: And, and for a broadcast network, what kind of challenges does you know, promoting, scheduling, an anthology series like this you know, cause you? How do you keep viewers coming back to essentially a new story and almost a new series every episode?
3: You know, I, I, I think there's, there's a, a couple benefits of just the simplicity of a crime drama, and th- this idea that there's something incredibly surprising in every story, there's something incredibly resonant in every story. And on one level, like any crime show, there's a play along where you're like, ooh, I know th- this, this. There's more, that, there's more to this, this person or this story than meets the eye. And then at the end of every episode, there is something that really spins your head and makes you think about the story and/ or the subject matter and maybe a way you've never thought about it before um, and so once we saw a few episodes, we were able to kind of lean into the concept of that and and the idea of you know what would you do if you were in this situation every single character who is stands accused in the first 15 episodes are someone you know or somebody you might you know, and your family or friends or your, your neighbor or co- a colleague or a, co- a co-worker, uh, no matter how different their story is, there's an inherent emotional access point that makes you feel in a way uh, that most, most, most crime dramas do not. And, and, it, and it, it, they pack a punch, and, uh, and it's really, you know, really fun. To, and so we, we, we spent, uh, one of the things we did was we ordered the show a year in advance, was very important to Howard to have the time to be able to spend to craft these episodes to the uh, to 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 meet the, his his standards of of quality, and so we what we decided to do was do it right instead of take a we had a great creator and a a concept and, and a, a <laughs> studio partner we we loved and 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 trust and the normal instinct is get it on the air as quickly as possible. But we, we didn't here. We, we took over a... Thank you. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and it paid off. Uh, but we took a year or more. And, and um, how lucky are we to have someone like Howard touch the page of every single oh, script? come on. And, stop it. Yeah, I and, can't take
6: this anymore. Yes.
3: But, no, but I'm really serious. It's, it's, uh, but we wouldn't have been able to do that had we not given the time.
6: Um, they also did order 12, and they did up <laughs> the order to 15, which did not help either. <laughs>
8: <laughs> so let's be reasonable. We liked it. You know what, I, I am going to, from now on, whenever I have an idea or pitch, I'm going to steal Howard and then he, and then make sure to get the show solved. Sure.
5: <laughs> I mean, when it comes to the sort of the intricacies of each episode, I mean, what was, I guess, the development and then bringing on the, the writers? Is there a writer's room behind each episode or one individual writer? How did the, the process Well, a,
6: It was a very pandemic-friendly opportunity because I got, I did have a, a, a writing, a, a Kind of a two very small writing staff, but it wasn't a staff. There was no room. I really worked one on one with a handful of writers, and so it was much more analogous to maybe developing a movie script, I imagine, because um, you're not beholden to the previous episode. Mm-hmm. I did want to add one thing about because I do think this ch- this idea though of how do you what's consistent, why how do audiences come back, how do you promise? I and I mentioned this again before because I believe every show that's worth doing has an emotional contract. With the viewer. Like, you tuned in to, you know, This Is Us, because you know you're gonna feel something. You know, you did, I think when you watched 24, you're gonna be left breathless and kind of rattled. Um, you know, you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, you're gonna be, la- you know, laughing because of the subversiveness. This one, I think there is an emotional contract, though there's a great diversity in storytelling in terms of the tone of each episode. There's a feeling that I feel. And I, you know is consistent, and is and and once an audience watches the first one and then the second, I think you, they'll get the value proposition. I think rather quickly,
5: and hopefully want to consume them all. Yeah, and, and so it's that, that feeling, that spirit of the essence of the show that you think that yes. links the episodes yes. rather yes. than yes. any. Well, I and, and like mean, there is
6: them. and there is a there is a format recognizability, but mm-hmm. there's also I think a an emotional component.
5: Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, before we bring Michael and Marley in, tell us a bit about casting the show because we have 15 episodes, 15 new casts, new directors. What was it, it, that a, process a nightmare. like?
6: <laughs> no, it really was. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. It Was Was like it always
5: te- going to be that? Or did you not think of just getting I a group together I, and I thought, switching I, roles? I didn't
6: think how, I, I didn't realize it, how terrible it would be. <laughs> It, 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 it was, was great, it. though, because Michael was the first person I said, I mean, I, I wrote my first script, and, 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 you know, it was the one. I and, was about to say, well, what do you mean it was so No, you were then? the best one.
4: And I, <laughs> I, no, but I,
6: I was so, no, I was very, look. I was so passionate about these things, and the proposition right. was, okay, I hope these are, I like these scripts a lot. Mm-hmm. I hope people will buy into the creative, to what I'm saying. I hope I'm not deluding myself, <laughs> but I had my first breakfast, uh, lunch with Michael, and at the same restaurant, I met Marley. At Caia de Sol,
4: no, fantastic. And so it was a oh, lucky right. place
6: for me. And then, and, and it was, and it was. I think we just the talent that we got that were attracted to the script. So, I felt like we were kind of not deluding ourselves. Mm-hmm.
3: And, and I think we're, you know one of the challenges in, in television in general is there's so much content, and you know that's really exciting, but it means so many people are actively working, and these scripts require uh, performances that are complicated and and layered and um, and so to spend the time to get the casting right for each of these episodes it it, it took
5: but it was like it a Rubik's cube could you know, we had like we had we had the yellow we had on one side patients. and the green on
6: the other but like we could never get them all uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was really juggling
5: yeah did you have people in mind i guess straight away or was it through story or or character or, or people you'd people. worked with?
6: Yeah, some people we'd worked with, but some uh, had people in mind, and uh, just scheduling didn't work out, mm-hmm. but then you know, it's true, one door opens and another closes, or mm-hmm. it closes and another opens,
5: and, and that turned out to be the case. And in terms of then filming, you were filming all 15 together, so it was, if people dropped out, it would be like you have to get someone in it straight away? It was each
7: individual episode, whereas if it had been you know, a serialized show you could have said, like, you can be an episode, what have you, but these were so specific. And
6: add COVID to it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you have one person who has COVID, and like Michael had it two weeks before <laughs> oh, yeah. we started.
4: Two weeks before we started. Right.
6: Had, it like been, I literally had it been had one tested
4: week. negative and or three days during. During. later or I,
8: during I, I as I happened it
5: happened with ours. Yeah.
4: Yeah. 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 yeah.
5: So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crazy. And uh, so Michael, let's, let's bring you in because you act in an episode, but you also direct an episode. So which, which came first?
4: The acting part yeah. of it, and, and honestly if I'm being really candid, I, 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 I had no intention of, of doing a, a one-off episode of television in any show, <laughs> but in deference to Howard because of, you know, I, I've always wanted to work with him, and he's really one of the best in the business. I said, oh, okay, I'll read this, absolutely. And then I, I think anyone would agree uh, that we're all, always looking for great material. It really starts on the page, and this amounts to wonderful featurettes, right? It's a standalone featurette. And, you know, speaking to the format of the thing, it is somewhat familiar, right? But just for the audience's edification, you here stands someone accused of something. And this is where you're in the courtroom in the, in the beginning of, of each of these shows. And then they go back and tell you, show you what happened. And you, it's where... Uh, the, a human story, in point of relation human story meets uh, existential crises in, 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 in the rule of law. And it w- I was sucked in immediately, and I went, oh my God, I have to do this. And I, I just, on top of it, on a practical level, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a huge uh, commitment. Any actor who's looking to do something wonderful Here's a great piece of material. It's not going to take a long time. Uh, it made so much sense on so many levels to do it that I was like, yeah, why wouldn't I do this? This is fantastic. I get to work with Howard. Then, on top of it, I go up to it, it's shot in Toronto, beautiful city, world class uh, uh, crew. crew. Crew is world class. And I was having such a wonderful time on the shoot that I turned to Howard and I was like, I want to direct one of these. <laughs> Because, again, it's, it's a featurette. It, and his
6: episode is great. Not the one he was in. That one's good, too. <laughs> but he did a great job. It's really, really good.
4: Well, you're it looking is. for great working experiences really as good. an actor and as Understood. a director. And here you have a great writer with a great writing staff, an amazing... And by the way, and talk about doing it right. Uh, that's the other thing. I called my wife and, and said, hey, they're really supporting this. We shot it well. It w- I didn't feel like, oh, we were robbing Peter to pay Paul and skipping on things. It, it, it was beautifully produced. Really well shot. Uh, the director of photography is incredibly talented. Uh, the, the crew was fabulous. We, we, uh, Jill Hennessy is phenomenal in, in the episode starring opposite me in Oaks. Uh, the Oaks. they really, really great, uh, um, uh, all, all departments. So, I mean, what's to complain about? <laughs> I, have, I have two daughters. And if you have a shred of empathy and you read this script, you can't help but put yourself in this person's shoes and go, what if this happened to my children? What if, what if I thought one of my children was damaged and, and very, very dangerous? You, you know, you can't help but put yourself in that place. And the way it plays out is, just brilliantly uh, written, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a nail biter. It just is, you know. It's it's something that's entertaining uh, to me. Any trifecta is if it's entertaining and it also makes you think and feel. That's the trifecta for me.
5: Definitely. Yeah, were, were you on that episode then as a, an actor? Were you very involved in working with the script or, or kind of bringing expertise behind the scenes? Or you?
4: Was that... No, not really. I I read it. I thought it was a tremendously well written script. I helped a little bit with the with the one I directed, mm-hmm. with with some of the rewrites with that, but only a little bit. I, um, all credit to Howard and his and his incredible staff of writers. So uh, again, I'm I'm always in search of what's on the page, and then who's making it in that order, and this checked every box like in. Red,
5: (laughs) (laughs) And when it comes to the episode you directed, Jack's story, I believe it's called, um, is it a very different story then, and and what Uh, was?
4: It could not be more different. Um, uh, But again, you can't help but say, all right, what if, you know, and there's so many, you said this earlier, there's so many points of relation, you know? In this case, uh, Jason Ritter is brilliant and incredibly likable, and I, I, I immediately thought, well, this is my Mr. King. Everybody who did theater in high school had their high school theater teacher who everybody loved. And I just related to this character and understood him. And I thought, you need to have someone who's amazing, you know, affable, likable person who, what if they were embroiled in this impossible situation? And I, I think that's one of the consistent hooks throughout the series is that each story, you have an incredibly uh, relatable characters and things that we encounter in day-to-day life all the time and where where those things turn and become a matter for rule of law. Now, that's the other side of it is, you know, we're in a time where, uh, what is the truth and uh, where, Merriam-Webster just declared gaslighting the word of the year for 2022. Wow. Perfect, that's exactly right. So where's the truth and the rule of law and where does that all land right now in the world we live in? And this is just a fascinating insight to all this. It's Great storytelling and I've done a fair bit of, of uh, law enforcement-based <laughs> uh, drama, you could say, <laughs> and this is nothing like any of that. Mm-hmm. I mean I really particularly loved shooting some of the courtroom stuff because all of a sudden I was a, a kid again watching Gregory Peck and yes you know and I really you know I stole and borrowed and from a bunch of that as
5: well <laughs> And let's bring Marley in, because this is your directing Ava's story, uh, which is it's a beautiful story, and, and one I imagine is quite personal for you to, to make, and, and this is your first time behind the camera, so what was that like for you to, to get that offer and, and Perfect. Perfect. accept it and, and join the show?
8: Well, it was like being a kid in a candy store for me. <clears throat> I have always flirted with the idea of directing something, and... When I, well, actually, I've always stayed quiet about it. I never really shared with my agents or my team to say, oh, I want to direct because I wasn't sure if it would be something that people would respond to or give me the opportunity to participate in because it's a tough business in the fact that, I mean, it's a wonderful industry, don't get me wrong, but being deaf in the industry, it's more tough to get work for me as a deaf person. So the fact, you know, there's a trust factor that's involved here and people would wanna say, okay, are we gonna give Marley work? You know, I wasn't sure. And I would think that my opportunities would be more limited. So that's why I never really explored it. But at the same time, people on the set and Howard and this team were trusting enough and gave me this opportunity and I'm so grateful for that. So when I got the call saying, would you be interested in directing an episode, for a brand new television series, I said, well, who is involved? Howard Gordon. And I said, okay, fine, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and who wouldn't want to work with him? And so with Sony and Fox, it, it was like a no-brainer. And I typically, as an actor, listened to my gut And I'll say, is this something I want to do? Is this a script I want to work on? Are these the people I want to work with? And I learned that from Henry Winkler, who has been my mentor since I was 12 years old, who always told me that, who said, always listen to your gut. And if it excites you, go for it. And if it doesn't, and you don't feel it, then just move on. But this time, I was instantly hooked. And I said, yes. And I thought, oh, shit, now what am I going to (laughs) do? And I went with it. And I had a blast. I truly experienced something that, and I've told some people that I have never, I'll never look at a set the same way. After working 35 years as an actor, the process, the understanding of how each and every person in your crew or department works in prep, in prepping for an episode, in prepping for something that you want to present. I, I just, I mean, it was astounding. It was astounding to me. And I got to work with each and every person. And I said to myself, how am I going to be a good director for the first time? Because I have so much to learn at the same time. So I said to myself, just talk to everybody. Just talk to everybody. Look everybody in the eye. Be open-minded. I know they're going to be asking me 400 questions a day, left and right. I'm going to be prepared for that. Some people said, oh, yeah, watch out. You're going to be careful. You've got to be careful. I said, that's fine. I'm open to it. So what will my answers be? Yes, no, maybe, and I don't know. <laughs> Show me. And that's a great idea. And it worked. It worked for me. It worked for me.
5: What's striking is um, the way you use the camera and, and the sound, I guess, in particular, to put us, the viewer, into Ava, Ava's head, I guess, and, and experience the world that she lives in. How did you want to give that authentic experience to viewers to, to really be in her shoes and, and really feel the conundrum that is sort of unfolding through the episode?
8: That's a good question. I, I mean, first of all, again, as we were talking, it starts with the script. And Miley, who wrote this episode who is a wonderful writer, a person who has empathy of my community and our culture and our language. And she took it upon herself to learn American Sign Language and she communicated with people in the community and made sure that what she put on the page was authentic. And naturally she doesn't live as a deaf person. So what I did was, being (laughs) on board, was to assist in, in a way, and we worked collaboratively, in a way that was gold, along with Howard's participation, of course. And we talked extensively about sound, about perspective, about point of view, about perspective of a deaf person and a hearing person, or if they're in the same room together, and everyone was everyone had to make a decision about what worked because for me, obviously, sound is not my world. Obviously, I don't know anything about sound, so what I did is I worked with people on the set and Howard, and I told the sound department when I first met them, I said, hi, I'm Marley, I'm your director, but I'm also on your team. And you're gonna be hearing voices that might be unusual for you, but go along with it. Don't be concerned, just keep everything as you hear it. And we'll worry about that later. No,
6: I'm saying, and now I'm cutting the episode and, uh, and, um, and sound mixing it. So we had a five-hour sound meeting. And I said, I want to clear the space so that the hearing audience can hear the, 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 the breathing, the, the, the articulation of just the tongue and the mouth. And yeah, and I want to hear it. And so we really, it's, and it's really something, all the sound people, their, their job is sound, said, I've never heard this before.
8: And so it's like. That was new for them, and yet at the same time, it's authentic. And that's what I was reaching for. I was grateful that Howard and everyone on board got it, and that they knew it was crucial to telling the story because the
5: story had to be real. And I forgot
8: your question, but that's okay.
5: Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think you answered it. Yeah. That was great. Um, just before we run out of time, I've got a few questions from the audience. So I want to make sure we get to those. Um, you've entra- you've accra- uh, attracted incredible talent to the show already. Can you tell us a bit more about who we're going to see in front of and behind the camera maybe?
6: We have um, <laughs> one of the great subver- I mean, it's a subversive pleasure, but pleasure was getting to shine a light on corners of the culture of the country, of the world that we. so the, the, the deaf world. We have a Native American, one that's an entirely Navajo cast, and also Tazbe Chavez, who I met uh, through the Writers Guild, um, uh, but she's now on reservation Dog. She's like this hot shot um, Native American writer director. She's uh, directing an episode. Billy Porter, does anybody know Billy Porter, directed an episode about a love story between a drag queen and a uh, kind of Casey Affleck guy. Um, and Billy is just a magnetic, uh, you know, person. I cannot wait for you to see that one. Uh, we have Keith Carradine. Uh, Rachel up. Bilson. Rachel Bilson. Malcolm um, Jamal Warner. Malcolm Jamal Warner. M- Wendell Pierce. Wendell. Um, yeah, Wendell, yeah. who Wendell. just, uh, I think, got nominated or won a Tony for Death of a Salesman. He's an amazing actor. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting people. Abigail well, Breslin. Abigail Breslin. But we, Abigail, but we also have um, Betsy Brandt a- and Josh Hamilton. Hamilton. Actors
4: yep. are looking for great material. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's great material.
6: And there's some, I mean, there are, again, the, the there are. I described the, the, the episodes, there are kind of three branches. There are some that are just like, Michael's is like, what would I do? But there's a whole, in Marley's episode, the world's kind of a better place at the end of it. I don't know how else to say it, but I guess mm-hmm. if Shakespeare, if tragedy is when things fall apart and comedy is when things come together, we have a few of these episodes that actually this very exigent moment of the court becomes a moment where people... Mm-hmm. I, I thought like the two loneliest places are when you're dying you're you know you're going to be surrounded by family but you're dying it's you and the other lonely place is when you're being when you're on trial and you're and you're whatever you've done and however you've done it and whatever has led you to this moment has got to be the most lonely m- moment where the rest of your life is going to be determined and so it's a very powerful context
5: to tell a story I hope and are it. the stories are they all kind of ripped from headlines kind of stories from the us are there, the, the, do you go outside that sort of
6: there, you know, I'll tell you. You know, we're living in a global culture. The world is not necessarily for the good, but is fairly flat. So I think we're all dealing with these seismic shifts in the in our, in all of our cultures, and uh, so grip it, 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 from the headlines, feels like uh, yes. But I'm inspired. We're all living in the same reality. These fictional characters are living in the same world we're all living in, and I think. Not being a documentary show, not being a, uh, tells you, you can experience the world we're living in and what it means to be alive today through this
8: fictional kind of construct in a way that I think. Everyone has a story to tell. Yeah. And I'm excited about the fact that in my episode, along with everyone else's, that people will look at deaf people in a way, and I'm not gonna give you the story, but deaf people and a lot of deaf people out there will think we're, a monolithic community, we're not. We don't see alike, we don't act alike, we're human just like everybody else, and we have lives just like everybody else, and I'm excited that this is
5: one of a million stories of our particular community. And, and Michael, maybe just uh, Michael, maybe just finish with you. I mean, in terms of Fox and, and the kind of programming you're looking for, why is this an example of something that is a good fit at Fox, and, and maybe how is this informing your strategy sort of going forward for the next year or so?
3: It's It's a little bit what I was talking about before where you know, there's um, th- this this idea to try to. There's so much content. There's um, there's so much to choose from, not just in television, but uh, social media, podcast, across all, all content today, and and we're constantly looking for projects and voices that we think can really just stand out and and create a conversation, and and but still reach. And a, a, a huge, a huge audience, and it, it's like what Michael was saying. It's like, what are the scripts, and who, who are those scripts? Good is good, a, man. Yeah, good, good quality is, good. is
4: quality. That's yeah. all there is to it.
3: And, and it, but I, 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 think when um, we ordered three scripts uh, when we first heard the pitch, uh, when it was on kind of a fast track, if you will, to uh, to a series order, and when Howard turned in Scott's story, the the one that Michael stars, and when we read that script, there was no way to not do this series. It was there's um, this feeling that I think you sometimes get, and you, quite honestly, you always hope for where your palms get a little sweaty, where you get a little bit nervous and excited, and um, and you're like, "Can I do this? Should we?" And and in that that place is where we've had our best success at Fox. It's where mm-hmm. We wanna live at programmer, as programmers, and they're rare. And, and when, you, when, you, when you're lucky enough to have the project from the right team, you just go. And and that's, and that's what we did. And so we're, you know, I, 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 it seems obvious to say we're always looking for projects like that, but there's,
5: they're few and far between. Well, on that note, we're out of time. Um, for all else in purposes, thank the panel, and thank you for joining us.
0: Michael Thorne, Howard Gordon, Lauren Stein, Michael Chiklis and Marley Matlin speaking with Michael Pickard. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more discussions by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station, where you'll find new interviews airing from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale.